can go ahead, if you have your Bibles, open them uh, to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, where today uh, we're going to be moving into part 2 of a four-part series through the book of Hebrews. So when we uh, kind of planned out this series, we're reading through it, uh, we knew we were going to be in Hebrews for a long time. Uh, and so what we wanted to do, just as a way to kind of switch things up, is we've broken this letter up into four different parts. And so today, uh, we're going to uh, jump into part two. Uh, but if you remember, part one was entitled, Jesus is Greater. And, and I just want you to know that, that even though we're moving into uh, this new part of Hebrews, Jesus is still greater. You see, it's his greater greatness as we uh, continue to, we're going to continue to see throughout uh, this letter. It, it moves us into part two, which is in regards to our confidence in Christ. You see, as we grow as disciples and followers of Jesus, as we grow in our in, identity in Christ, we then also grow in our confidence. And, and guess what? Confidence leads us to both radically changed and radically sacrificial lives. So as we understand the, the finished work of the gospel and our identity in that, that gives us confidence. And in that confidence, we then live different lives. And I believe that our lives are both radically changed and then they are both radically sacrificial. You see, that's what we're after as a church. That's one of the, the reasons that we play. We wanted to, to see uh, uh, disciples that, that have an understanding of the gospel, but in light of their understanding of the gospel, that they would be radically changed, but live radically. Radically sacrificial lives. And so with that before us, let's jump right in. And what I want to do is I want to tie together our time from last week that's going to springboard us into our confidence for this week and the weeks to come. So let's begin by reading Hebrews 4, verses 11 through 13. The writer says this, Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Okay, so really quickly I want to remind us of the two points that we saw last week in the beginning of our time in chapter 4, because they are key to how this builds out moving forward. So, so I said last week that, that first, as we began Hebrews 4, that, that the rest that we long for, which I would term as soul rest, we saw that it is available, but it, and this is big, it can be missed, right? Meaning that for the unbeliever, even today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rest. And so your response, if you, today, if you're an unbeliever and not a follower of Jesus, today is the day that you don't harden your heart and miss it, but you turn and you enter into that rest. But also last week we saw that for the follower of Jesus, today is the day of obedience in light of salvation or in light of our rest in Christ. Therefore, we on a daily basis are to enter into it. We don't need to miss it either. It's available now. May we not turn to other things as forms of rest. 
And then second, we saw that the rest we long for is again only found in Jesus. He is its source. Jesus would say, no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so Jesus, as we're going to expound today, is not only the foundation of our rest, He is also the sustainer. He gives it and He sustains us. And so today, as a follower of Jesus, may we go to Him all the time. But not just all the time, may we go to Him first. And so it's in light of those two truths that we find a third here in verses 11 through 13 in that rest, the rest that is available and only found in Jesus is a rest that works. Now, now I want you to hear clearly what I say, because uh, I think you can hear a rest that works and think, OK, I've got to do some type of work to earn that rest. That's not what I'm saying. It's not work to earn something, but actually it's a rest that makes us into a new creation that then works because of something that was done for us. Again, the gospel is good news that works in and through us, and it is both good for our lives and good for our daily living. You see, being a disciple is not a label that's worn. It is a life lived further, I think, it is a life as Jesus would say, of dying to self, picking up one's cross and following Him. You see, when we think about the good news of the Gospel, something we talk about in our basics class, um, something I believe man, we are going to continue to talk about forever, is that, uh, is that the Gospel saves us, right? So it saves us from the penalty of sin. But also the gospel will save us from the very presence of sin. One day, Jesus is going to come back and make all things new. The presence of sin will be no more. But again, what does that mean for today? Well, as I said last week, for many that means nothing. For many, their their understanding or picture of the gospel is this. I've checked the box. I've punched my ticket. Who cares how I live now? But that's anti-gospel. That is not good news. You see, while we are justified by Christ and will be glorified by Christ, our today is not lost, for we are being saved. What we would term as sanctification from the very power of sin in our lives, day in and day out. You see, the problem with this, I think if we're honest, is that we like the beginning and the end of that rest, but if we're honest, not so much the reality of the work in between. And so when we think about this reality of the gospel continuing to uh, break us free from the power of sin in our lives, how does that take place? How is this good news a rest that works? Well, ultimately, it's a rest that works by God's grace and loving you and I enough not to leave us where we are. But I think it's seen primarily as we are exposed by the Word of God daily to see our moment-by-moment need for grace, mercy, and transformation that only Christ by the Spirit can bring. You see, He will, and this is a guarantee, He will finish the work in each and every follower. And guess what? There is work still to be done in each of us, is there not? Like, no one sitting in this room today has arrived. 
you have, but you have not. We call it the now, not yet. Yes, ultimately, when God looks at us, He sees us through uh, the redemption of His Son, but He is still at work forming us more and more into what? The image of Jesus. And as we think about that, what that should do is it should really do two things. It should bring both hope, but also it should bring humility. And so the writer begins by stating, let us strive to enter. Now, now I love this because what the writer is doing is he's laying out the fact that all, including the person riding, are in need of work. The work of entering into rest daily. And so as we think about this reality that, man, we're all still in need of grace, mercy, and transformation, I, I want you to just think on this question a little bit. Maybe even this week, act upon this question. The question is this. Would those around you say that you position yourself in a manner that projects your need for grace? Another way, uh, maybe we could describe that is, would, would people describe you as approachably humble and aware or pridefully finished and judgmental? You see, a lot of times, to get down to it, in your life, are there people that can come to you and say, hey, I think you're missing this area. And you see it as God's grace and conviction and not judgment. And condemnation or criticism. That's different. One brings rest, the other doesn't. So the writer says, let us strive. Again, this is not for acceptance, but in light of our acceptance. Today, are you settled and lazy? You see, for the follower of Jesus, we have this opportunity because we're freed up in Christ. Because He's already finished the ultimate work. That we can wake up today and every day. And we can live into grace and then live out of the power of the resurrection. As we walk in dependence, we are then equipped to live empowered lives. And so following this charge to active rest, we see that the work of God's rest is presented through the work of God's Word. You see, God's Word is a guide for obedience. And, and he, he, yes, it, it, it means Jesus is the Word that put on flesh, but what the writer is getting at here is he's talking about the very Word of God, the Bible. And so in your life, is there, has there ever been a time where, when you felt exposed for being something you were not? Like maybe you talked a big game, but you didn't come through when the moment arrived, right? Like in your life, like when you were a kid, you said, yeah, I've done that or I've done this. And then they were like, we'll do it again. And you're like, no, 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 sorry, I can't. Like, take this for instance, like, have you ever had an annual revenue of $200 million for facilities, staff, and student-athletes? Have you ever had your own TV network, the biggest budget in college sports, and yet you walk into Lubbock yesterday, and you get exposed for being a mediocre football team that's more hype than heart? No? Well, so what we can assume today is that you're not the University of Texas, okay? And I know some of you are like, yeah. Don't worry, Aggies. I I was ready last night, okay? 
And it, 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 one field goal miss is the only reason y'all aren't inserted here today, okay? And the only reason I believe that happened is because y'all played at Jerry's World. And in Jerry's World, the team Jerry cheers for always loses, right? So he was cheering for Arkansas last night, and so they lost every other time it's the Cowboys. Uh, so, well, what about this, though? When's a time, or when was the last time that God's Word exposed you? And if you can't think of a time, man, I would suggest a few reasons why. One, you're not in the Word. Like, how can the Word expose you if you're not in it? Two, maybe you're in the Word, but you're just callous towards it. You have a hard heart. Maybe you, as you read the Word, you read it with pride and judgment. All you do is think about, oh man, this is a great Scripture for them. Oh, i got to text it to them. Or I'm just going to put the Scripture on Facebook and hope they read it. I mean, isn't that what Jesus dealt with the, the, the religious leaders? Isn't that what He constantly called them out for? He says, hey, you think you got it, but man, when you come to the Word, your heart's proud. You're not allowing to expose your brokenness and your need. But thirdly, maybe you're in the Word, but actually you're believing your words or others' words over the very Word of God. You ever do that? Like you're reading God's Word and you're like, don't like that. <laughs> Let's go get something that'll make me feel better. That'll make me feel good. They won't convict me of my sin and my brokenness. They won't call me to serve or live a sacrificial life. I don't like that stuff. As I thought about this, I think one of the, one of the first examples I remember in my life where the Word exposed my brokenness and need was I really after I'd been following Jesus for a while. But in high school, like before my junior year, man, if the church doors were open, I was there. But man, when I hit my junior year, man, I, I, like, I was like, I ran from God as fast and as hard as possible for about a year and a half. And, and I remember that, that in that time, I'd kind of gotten to kind of my rock bottom moment, you know, where I'd gotten in some trouble, and so I was grounded, and, and I was kind of exposed, but not really exposed, right? Like other people knew this, my mom knew this, but no one else, you know, I, I wasn't, I hadn't dealt with God yet. And so I'm still trying to cover up and project and, and think if I can just get past this thing. And I remember in my mind, I said, look, I can expose my mom's ignorance by saying I'm going to go to a thing called Disciple Now on a weekend at church. And she's going to think Kyle's good. And then she's going to say, you're ungrounded and I can go live life however I want again. But that's not what happened. Because I got to Disciple Now weekend, and man, from night one, I remember Friday night, like, they were singing these songs, and I was just standing there, and, and they, the, the speaker started speaking, and I was like, man, something's going on. But I was just wrestling with it, right? Like, the Word of God, I don't remember the specific Scriptures, but I remember, like, the Word of God was just exposing my life. And, and so I just continued to push away and push away, but guess what? Like, God's more powerful than me, His grace is greater than me. Uh, and man, uh, the next day, like we went through the whole day and I'm just feeling like, man, I feel weird. Like, I don't know what's going on. And that night, the leader of my group set me down and man, he just began like he didn't know me at all. And he just began to just call out some things in my life. He's like, man, Kyle, you know that you're running and you know that. And I'm just like, who is this dude? <laughs> 
And, and I still, I was like, I don't know what to do. I mean, his word just continued to expose my heart. And then, you know, the Disciple Now weekend ended. And, and that evening they had a share service. And for some reason, I found myself sitting on the front row, not knowing why. People were like, why are you here? I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. But God's word and his grace just kept exposing. And, and man, I remember, and it was this just weird moment in my life. Whereas I, I just sat and I wrestled that, uh, you know, something inside believe it was just the Spirit of God. Just Man, it was just this quick moment of just saying, hey, it's time. Get up. It's time to move. And I stood up and I grabbed the microphone at First Baptist Church of Clifton, Texas, and I said, look, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm, I'm back. And that's all I said. And I just handed the mic off and walked off. I was like, I didn't know what to do with it, but man, God used that. One, to expose my brokenness and my need. But two, man, to draw me back to Himself. You see, the thing about it is, I don't just need that moment. Like, think about it in your life. Like, you just don't need that one. Like, if that moment for you is ten years ago, man, allow the Word to expose you today. You see, we need continual exposing. Like, we need to open the Word and say, this is the standard And allow the Spirit to say, hey, this is where God wants to transform and expose and get to the depths of who you are. If you're not a part of Equip, I encourage you to get in one of our men's or women's Equip groups because over and over again, like without fail each week, like we're talking on a Tuesday morning and one of the guys or myself were like, I don't know what it is, but I was reading that story in the Old Testament this week and I was like, man, they're dumb. And then I'm like, wait a second. I act the same way. You see, God's Word just begins to open up and expose. And it, because it's, as we see, it's, that's what it does. You see, and not only does it do that, that's a good thing. Because it brings rest when it does that. But also it works on us. And so quickly, let's just break down the specifics given to us here. First, we see that the Word is living and active. What that means is that God's Word is dynamic and productive. It is not something to be brushed past, but to be engaged in. For it works in us to bring change and then sends us out to the world around us as proclaimers of hope and change. Next, we see that it's sharp and penetrating Meaning that God's Word cuts through our messiness and our attempts at hiding, covering, and projecting. And I don't know about you, but like that's my bread and butter. I think that's you go to Genesis three. Like that's like that that's been our bread and butter since then. What can I do to cover and hide and project? And yet God exposes it, and He exposes it through His Word. Next, we see that nothing is hidden from it. So in that exposing, like. It, 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 the, God's Word is going to do one of two things. It's going to expose now or it will expose one day. Nothing is hidden. The, the word there is actually to be laid bare. And what that term means, it's like a wrestling term. Uh, whereas like a wrestler would like have someone in a chokehold with their throat exposed, right? like they're laid bare, like they can't do anything. 
Like that's how God sees. Like we, we think we hide. We think we covered up. We, we, no, but God, man, we are laid bare before Him and He exposes our guilt. It gets down to where we are. That's what He does. You see, the Word of God and the rest that it brings works because it gets down to the depths of who we are uh, for God and giving all of Himself works in every part of us. Like, He leaves nothing. Like, He finishes the work. And so today, I want to encourage you, like, let the Word expose you today. Let it have its work. And as it does, rest that in the, in the truth that what it exposes is not to shame you, but to change you. And really what these points do is they kind of raise a question. Like if God exposes and sees all of our guilt, who can represent guilty sinners if God knows all of our brokenness? Who? What's the answer? Y'all know it. It's Jesus, right? We get the answer in the next section. So let's read verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, hear this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Alright, so following this picture of the Word of God as being a rest that works, the writer answers our previous question. He answers our wrestling regarding our need for a representative before God. And what he says is that Jesus is the answer. But look at how he does it. He begins, he says, Jesus is our great high priest who brings us rest. So, so what does he mean by great high priest? Well, it, it means this. Jesus is great because He is above Aaron. He's not only above Aaron, He is above all who followed Him in both character and work. You see, Aaron uh, was the first priest. He was a Levite and everyone that followed Him was a Levite. But Jesus is greater in both character and work. You see, while they represented, represented imperfectly, while sacrificing for sin, Jesus represented perfectly and was the literal sacrifice for sin. But also we see that Jesus has ascended in all power and authority. He sits at the right hand of the Father. In Matthew 28, He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so what's the result of that according to the text? Well, the result is that we would hold fast to our confession. Guess what? Jesus is our confession. Jesus is our confession. You see, when you're asked to give an account, it's not give an account of, of all that you've done and the great things that you've accomplished. No, Jesus is our confession. We point to Him and Him alone. So how is He our confession? How is He our great high priest? 
Like I think one of the things we can wrestle with even in that is as we wrestle with Jesus as our great high priest, we can begin to wrestle with our own sin and brokenness and just how unclean and, and, and in need that we are. And so we can begin to say, well, Jesus is perfect, we're not, so how could He even understand Maybe for some of you in the, today, like maybe you, you've gone through uh, sorrow and brokenness and suffering. I believe we all have to varying degrees. And in the midst of that, you can say, well, but I know Jesus can take care of those things, but how does He deal with these things in my life? He can't really understand. But actually, the writer says the exact opposite in three ways. First, we see that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Weakness there is a, an all-encompassing word that, that, that includes all forms of stumbling and failure. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. You see, Jesus can say this and mean it, which leads to the second way. The, the way we know that is because He was tempted in every way. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus experienced every individual temptation, but that He faced the full range of temptation. But guess what? Jesus experienced the full range of temptation to a level that we can't even begin to imagine. And in being tempted in every way, it leads to way three that He can understand and meet us in the midst of it, which is that while He was tempted, He never sinned. I believe that we struggle to have a grid for this because guess what? Like, we'd be sinners, right? Like, we sin, so we can't understand not only that Jesus never sinned, but Jesus like experienced temptation and he didn't succumb to it. Like we don't get that, right? C.S. Lewis, I think, says it best in talking about this. He says, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is obviously a lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived, we've lived, a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because He was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows what full temptation means. Like, we think we know it. He knew it to a level we will never understand. And so you can trust today that Jesus can sympathize with you because He understands temptation in a way that you and I cannot even start to. And so in light of that, this is our response according to the text. It says, let us, again, you and I, with all confidence... In light of His perfection and His role as great high priest who sympathizes, who sacrificed Himself, and who never sinned, that leads us to confidence. But you see, it's a confidence that engages. It says, let us draw near. That's our action, one of our action steps for today. Draw near to Jesus today. But in drawing near, do so confidently. Now, not when you get it all together. Just draw near to Him and trust His grace, mercy, and love is what it proclaims to be. Draw near to Jesus. I think in truth, that might not be our common thought when thinking about drawing near. 
That's not commonly how we think about approaching God. Usually when we think about it, we think about a lot of judgment and wrath. God is a God of justice. You see, Jesus took the wrath fully so that we could fully approach in confidence. So that in every circumstance, we might receive mercy and find grace that helps in time of need. What that means there is that it helps in every circumstance. And so with the work of Jesus as our great high priest before us, I want to close out our time today by looking at the function of the high priest. And so let's jump into Hebrews 5. I'm going to read a lot of verses, so just bear with me. We're going to read verses 1-10. through For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so what we see up front are five things that every high priest did in function and role. And then at the end of this passage, we see how Jesus is revealed as our great high priest. So, so let me just list the five functions of a high priest according to Hebrews chapter 5. First, they were a representative on behalf of men before God. So the first role or function of a high priest was to represent God's people before God. Secondly, what we see is they were selected by God. Now, now for the, those reading this or hearing this letter, uh, man, they would understand. And if you read through Scripture, man, this is already a bit broken. You see, by this time, I think even in Jesus' day, the, the, the priesthood was being given to the highest or most influential bidder. Whoever had the most money or the most power or the most clout, they would be the one that was put next in line. It wasn't based on like, hey, here's what God said. It's like, well, no, we like them better. They're going to be the high priest. Third, They offered gifts and sacrifices. What that means is they offered the full scope of offerings in the temple. That was their function and role. But then the fourth one we hear, it it, it sounds just a bit different. Actually, it sounds fairly just encouraging to hear. It's that they dealt gently with the people. The ignorant and wayward specifically is what it says. Now that deal gently... It's not that they didn't care about sin, but that they uh, they were patient but firm. So they didn't discount the reality of sin and brokenness, but also they they, uh, they uh, man dealt gently or were patient with the wayward and ignorant. And the reason being is that the reality was is they too were sinners, right? 
You see, sin in life bears two common responses. It either makes you prideful, where you project, uh, you judge, and you're harsh towards others, or it makes you humble, where you deal gently and you act patiently before others because you realize your own brokenness and need. And so a high priest would realize, man, first and foremost, they had to make sacrifices for their own sins before they could ever go in and make sacrifices for God's people. And then lastly, the last function, which is really more of a disclaimer about the role, is that no one can claim position unless given by God. And guess what? When people tried to, things didn't work out too well. You know the story of Saul in 1 Samuel Saul, who was anointed king, decides in chapter 13, he's not going to wait around for the priest, and so he makes some sacrifices, and it costs him his kingdom. Because he stood in a place that he didn't have authority to stand. And so we see these functions, and then we see, beginning in verse 5 really, is that Jesus is our great high priest. You see, we're looking at the functional list. What we find is that he held similarities, but he was a totally different high priest. First and foremost, he was a high priest that did not have to sacrifice for himself for his weakness or his humanity never produced sin. And yet when he did make an offering for sin, he didn't use an animal. He gave himself. This means that while every high priest dealt gently with others, they could not deal fully with others because some of the focus had to be on their own sin. But Jesus is not so, for He is able to deal fully and faithfully with our brokenness because He had none of His own. Next, just as Aaron did not exalt himself to the position of high priest, but it was given given it, the same holds true for Jesus. You see, the huge difference is that while Jesus did not exalt Himself, He was actually chosen by God to hold two offices. Really, three, but they speak of two here. The first was a royal office. The writer quotes Psalm 2-7, which reveals Jesus as the Son that was given by God to rule as our eternal King. And then second, He was given a priestly office. Psalm 110 verse 4 is quoted, And reveals that while every other priest came from the line of Aaron and was a Levite, Jesus is our eternal priest by the order of Melchizedek. So who or what in the world is Melchizedek and why does it matter? Well, let's just go to who because he was a real person. (laughs) So what? So Melchizedek, if you look... I believe it's Genesis 14. After Abraham defeats a bunch of kings and Canaanites, uh, uh, two kings show up, the king of Sodom, and then Melchizedek shows up. And what happens in Genesis 14 is Melchizedek, who is a priest king, holds two offices, blesses Abraham, and then Abraham responds by giving a tenth of everything he has. Now, I'm going to share a couple of more things, but this is just an introduction. This, and, and we're not trying to skirt past who Melchizedek is. Man, Hebrews is going to give like a whole chapter to Melchizedek. But I'll say two more things in terms of the roles that he held as priest and king. Uh, first, he was the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Actually, that word for Salem is just a shortened version. The king of Jerusalem. 
but he was also the priest of God Most High. Melchizedek, the name literally means righteousness. He was a king priest of righteousness. And so Jesus, in light of this, is both the eternal king and eternal priest. While Aaron's priesthood was temporary and imperfect, Jesus is eternally perfected. And as if it couldn't get any better, the passage closes by revealing the solidarity that Jesus, our great high priest, has with us. Like these last verses should give us again confidence to draw near the throne of grace. What we see is that Jesus has solidarity with us while not being like us, which is a good thing. Do you see this vividly? And it speaks of it in, in this passage. Uh, it, it calls us back to Gethsemane in verse 7. Where Jesus offered prayer and supplication with loud cries and tears to Him, God, who was able to save Him from death. And it says that His cries were received or heard. But interestingly, the hearing, the receiving is not what we would think or even want. You see, we, when we cry out at times, we seek escape, but Jesus sought submission. You see, what happens in the garden is Jesus is praying and He says, God, if there's, Father, if there's another way, let, let, it, let it be. If there's, another, if, I, if there's another cup or there's some other way to bring redemption to your people, let it be another way. But, not my will, your will. You see, He doesn't seek escape. Jesus seeks submission. His prayers were heard because He submitted fully to the will of the Father, even in the face of death. And in doing so, the writer says, He learned obedience through His suffering. Now what that doesn't mean is that Jesus disobeyed so He could learn obedience. He didn't pass from disobedience to obedience. That's already been established. Rather, the idea here is that idea, idea here is that Jesus was made complete, meaning that he walked obedience and submission to the fullest extent. Where we could not, Jesus did. Therefore, the writer says. Jesus is the source of salvation to all who obey Him. Jesus in solidarity with us in that He lived, died, and rose in victory is the only one who can save us. He is our King Eternal. He is our Great High Priest. And so what does that mean for us today? Well, I think it means a few things. First and foremost, quit looking elsewhere. There's no better King. There is no other king. Allow the word to expose where you seek to rule your own life. Be transformed by grace in the areas that you still seek to make yourself right before God. What are those areas today? Go to God's word and say, God, it just, I, I open this book. And as I open this book, the one, let me learn about you. But in learning about you, man, may it expose areas in my life where I'm not trusting you. But also may I draw near to it in confidence knowing that it's only by your grace and mercy and power that I have life or I'm changed. Draw near in hope and confidence. 
See, I think all, oftentimes we don't go to God because we lack confidence in who we are in Christ. We don't really believe that who God says we are. We're about to experience a picture of that, a symbol of that, in a baptism at the end of our time today. And part of that baptism is it's a baptism into a new identity. Where the one baptizing says to the one about to get dunked, Hey, you have a new identity. You are being baptized into the name, identity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're a new creation. Live out of that. But we don't go to God because we forget our identity and we lack confidence. Or we don't go to God because we're looking to have confidence in other things. We're looking elsewhere. We're looking to what we can produce and what we can do. I shared this last week. Like There's no rest in that. When has it ever produced rest? Never, because it can't. And then I want to encourage you to live as if Jesus is your eternal King and great High Priest. You see, Jesus is our eternal King and great High Priest. Not only gives us confidence to draw near, it gives us confidence to live out. Remember Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Like Jesus says that in Acts 1.8, go read the rest of the book. You want to talk about some confident people. They don't care. They're living it out. That's what we're called to. We're a part of a network called Acts 29, and one of the questions we get is, there's, no 29, there's not a 29th chapter in Acts. There's only 28. You're heretical. We say, no, we are the 29th chapter of Acts. We, we've been commissioned. We've been sent out with the same commissioning. Draw near in confidence and live out of that confidence. Our story is to be a story of empowered confidence that leads to both radically changed and radically sacrificial lives. And so that's what I want to invite you into today. Just as the Word says, it's available. Don't harden your heart to it. So I'm going to have the team come back up, and I want to invite you to just that. I want to invite you to take a moment to reflect and pray and ask the Spirit um, to maybe expose areas of unrest or areas where you're seeking uh, confidence in other things. Or, man, uh, just even today, maybe it's just like, man, uh, one of those three things, I'm not in the Word, I'm hardened to the Word, or I'm listening to other voices, other words. And you would turn in repentance and faith and receive grace. Maybe today, like maybe one of the things you need to wrestle with is, man, am I a person that postures myself in a way that, that, that it reflects my need for grace? Or do I do everything I can to, uh, to cover and project instead of just saying, no, I, I'm in humble need daily. And then lastly, I want to invite you to just, man, ask God, man, God, let me live into the confidence I have in you. And then we live out of that confidence today. So I'm going to pray. 
And then if you are a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ that has given your life to Him, and I want to invite you to come share in communion. As you share in communion today, something that we, each and every week, what we are proclaiming in this moment is that we remember what Jesus has done. That He is our great High Priest that could fully and faithfully give all of Himself to our sin because He had none. That even in crying out, He did not seek escape, but He submitted to the will of the Father. And in doing that, that we would say, Jesus, even as we remember this, we submit our lives to You. May Your will be done in our lives. And so I want to invite you to that. You can come and take the bread and either dip in the cup or take a cup. And uh, then we're going to sing and worship. So God, I thank You for this time. God, I thank You that Your Word is living and active, that it's sharp and penetrating, that it exposes our need. But even in doing that, that is good news for us. That is not something that, that we should run from, but God, that we should run into that, allowing You to change and transform our lives. For You are a great High Priest that we uh, can confidently draw near to. That You give us new identity. That You call us to live out a different way of life. And so I pray for each person here, um, Lord, that they uh, would live differently in light of the good news. Not so that we might prove something, but so that we might proclaim that You have finished the work. Empower us now. Because it's only You who can. In Jesus' name, Amen.